Welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. We are the podcast that translates Donald Trump. We take a look at the current administration and we address real existential threats to America. Good ideas and bad ideas. We do that too. Yes, exactly. Today we'll hear from our friend Joel Farkas. He is our correspondent in California. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Based in Colorado. Uh-huh. Uh, Moving to Wyoming. Speaking of good ideas, bad ideas, he's <laughs> yeah. always got good ideas, and he knows what's going on. Always has yeah. good ideas, knows what's going on. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. We'll talk about the various ways progressive policies are hurting the working and middle class in America. And is there a blue-collar revolution against some of this progressivism? We'll also welcome a very bright man named Andy Kessler. He's also a California guy. Uh-huh lives in the Bay Area. He writes the Inside View column for the Wall Street Journal opinion page. He's an original thinker. Yeah. Very yeah, much. Yeah. You'll see what I mean. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. It's time to welcome Joel Farkas to the show. He is a director of the American Strategy Group. I am a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. I want to start with this. I'm interested in commenting, this is Joel Farkas, on monopolies, but mainly a housing topic that discourages families. Many recent comments by Elon Musk, Bill Maher, about population adding no kids but growing because adults are living longer. There are a lot of thoughts on this, but the thread in these thoughts is that progressive policy disdains birth in almost every policy choice. That's something you wrote. Explain that. Progressive policy disdains birth? Yes. In a word, we'll go through climate change, we'll go through declining middle class, we'll go through high housing costs, we'll go through lack of home ownership, education for, for kids. Each We can go through each one of those policies, one after another after another. Easiest place to look is California, um, and each one of those policies has something in common, and that is if you are a young couple, if you are, what are the, uh, the benchmarks? Uh, Children under 17, uh, kids 24 to uh, 24 to 35, 35 to 44. Every single metric in areas where progressive liberal policies take hold, those populations are declining. And quite frankly, those populations are declining worldwide. Birth rates are down. Uh, children, form- family formation is down. And let's start with housing in California. 41 percent of millennials between 24 and 35, 41% in the next 12 months are considering leaving, are, are going to leave the Bay Area. If you're 35 to 44, almost 30% of people in that age group are going to leave the Bay Area. Why? They can't afford a house. Uh, in California, if you're, well, there's another metric of how you compare income to jobs. Um, the national average is a home cost about three and a half times whatever your annual income is. So if you make $100,000, your home would be three and a half times that. In, in L.A., in California, in the Bay Area, in Silicon Valley, it's seven times or more, double the national average. We have spoken, and many other people have spoken, about the decline of middle class in places like New York and, and, and California, uh, very high-end places. We talk about income inequality. Very, very wealthy billionaires live in those places. Very, very poor. California has the highest poverty rate in the nation. Not number of people, the highest poverty rate. They have the highest homelessness rate in the country. Income inequality. What is the cause of income inequality? A declining middle class. What happens if you don't have new kids born? You have an aging population and fewer kids. Anything to do with having a family, 
having a child, uh, expanding your family is attacked by a housing policy, a climate change policy, uh, and many other different things. Got it. Is what's true of San Francisco, the Bay Area, you said, true of other parts of California, Los Angeles? Los Angeles County, their population is declining. Um, and where are they moving? They're moving outside of L.A. County to the Inland Empire, Riverside County, San Bernardino County, places where people can afford. And they also know why they're not staying. And while the people are leaving L.A. County, um, you know, this, California is a state of about 35 million people. Seven and a half million people live in poverty. And about 15 percent of L.A. County's population lives in poverty. Um, and you also have some of the greatest concentration of billionaires in the world in California, in particular, San Francisco, Silicon Valley and L.A. County. Wow. Again, did you grow up in California? Born there, uh, uh, raised there. Um, you live in Colorado now? Yes. You're moving. Where are you going? Doing that too. Wyoming or Idaho? How come? Colorado wants to emulate California. Our governor, our, our Senate, president, our House speaker, people who lead the legislature and the government of Colorado are all from Boulder, Colorado. Why Wyoming or Idaho? I think I know why. Wyoming, at least the obvious choice for a lot of people. It's beautiful and there's no state taxes, right? That's clear. It's number one. Idaho, beautiful. Very, uh, it's a a very reasonably priced area. I'm just not looking for pricing and things like that because thankfully I have means. But um, it's a uh, a community that respects and admires what used to be called in a book written in the 1930s called The American Epic. Uh, That's when the phrase The American Dream was coined. American dream, you got to move, right? I mean, if you really want to chase and live the American dream, there's some places much more conducive to it than others in our United States. And yeah, yes, it is. And you know, I, I, to me, leadership leadership of whether it's a state or a country is very important. If you don't if you don't value the, the children and family and, and aspirations, if you don't value that. If your leaders don't value that. If they don't do it, if they don't practice it. It affects you. I mean, one example would be, let's look at Europe for a brief, brief moment. 60 years ago, uh, European countries, uh, let's go through them, Germany, France, Netherlands, UK, the European Union, Belgium, all these countries. The leaders of these countries 60 years ago had combined between them, they had 32 children. Today, it's three. Only two of those countries, well, one of the leaders actually has a kid. Germany doesn't. Angela Merkel doesn't. Emmanuel Macron doesn't. Theresa May of the UK doesn't, although I think she's gone. Um, the Europe, leader of the European Union doesn't. If you and I spend time, like we talk about having kids, having families, growth, having births, having new, new ideas, new aspirations, if we care about that, and the leaders not only don't care, people wonder why don't they care? Why don't they listen? It's so obvious. That's one reason. They've practiced and preached. It's not not an important thing for them. I I, I choose to go to places where the leaders care about those ideals that I find important. A couple of the pieces that you sent me talked about progressivism and now a reaction 
even among some Democrats, negatively to progressivism. There, there's there's something that uh, Joel Kotkin has called the blue collar revolution. What's that about? We talked about housing. We talk about climate change. If California, if you you want to you want to impose policies to address that concept. California has the highest electricity rates in the United States by a huge margin. Who does that affect? It affects the middle class. If their housing, if their housing costs, a third of the uh, third of the population in California has what they call extreme housing poverty, which is more than 50% of their income has to go to housing. You combine that with the highest electricity rates in the nation. What you end up with is, is an assault on people who are living and trying to trying to have a middle-class way of life. You also have an assault on any kid who's younger than 35 on whether or not they think they should even start a family. We've basically beaten that idea out of a young young kid, that starting a family. Um, even if you don't agree with the uh, politics and the ideology of, of, of some of these, these issues, you is let's say let's presume for a moment you don't agree with them, but now you can't afford it. So for in two different ways you're getting you're getting a beat over the head with don't have a kid, um, you, you know, you're gonna have a tough time with a job unless unless you're living on the coast making obscene amount of money. It's just a uh, it's a drumbeat against uh, against our children. One of these articles talks about the recent um, California Democratic Party convention. Progressives uh, supporting left wing policies. Uh, middle class and working class suffer the consequences. The Green New Deal got some attention, widely embraced here, I'm reading in this article, by party leaders, pushed too far, triggering a backlash to the convention. States' private sector labor unions, notably the building trades, organized a blue-collar revolution against the climate legislation and the Green New Deal. This is about yep. jobs and income, right? Yes, jobs and income and expenses. Jobs, income, and expenses. Um, it's one thing to see, do you have a job? It's another thing to see how much you're making for that job. And every, every rational middle class looks at that and says, what, do I, what, is it, what does it cost me to live? And that calculation uh, is, 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 is available in 150 to 200 other cities in America, many of the other states. I fear that um, because the leadership of California and now, now the leadership of Colorado, um, their idea is um, let's go stack a bunch of people in a little place that they rent for twenty five hundred dollars a month that they never could, that they don't own that they could never afford to buy and uh, and and uh, just keep them in these concentrated big cities. That's that's it's a short version of their of their policies and they substantiate it. I'm sorry. You know, you sent some statistics here. I just, I, I just marked this in the Los Angeles metropolitan area. 37% of Latinos own their own home. 37% in LA area in Houston, yeah. 51%. Yes. 33% of African Americans own their own home in the LA area. 42% in Houston and Atlanta would show the same numbers roughly as, uh, as Houston. The deepest blue cities, San Francisco, New York, San Jose, Los Angeles, Boston, have a lot of social social justice activism going on. But, as you mentioned before, suffer the largest gap between the bottom and top quintiles. So there's no question that when you look at the, the average income and the, and, the, and the net worth of someone who owns a home in the United States, that is multiply higher 
rents. It's about, I believe, the, the, the most recent statistic, if you're the, the, the net worth of uh, someone who owns a home in the United States, somewhere around $100,000 or, or more. If you're someone who rents, it's less than, fewer than $5,000. If you don't own a home, um, then you're not going to have any family wealth. If you don't build any homes, the cost of home ownership keeps going up exponentially. Um, the state of California probably is, is approximately, their building permits is approximately a third of the national national average. Um, they just don't build any. And the reason they don't build any is because they don't think home ownership is a good thing. Just don't think. You now have, we talked about Minneapolis, we now have Los Angeles trying to get rid of existing single-family homes through their zoning laws. So, look, um, I don't mean to diminish it by calling it lifestyle, but those are lifestyle choices, whether they have children or not, whether they have policies that are pro-children or not pro-child. And, you know, we're, we're, we're both pro-child. But at this convention in California, there looked like there was this blue-collar revolt, not so much about children. They'll, they'll figure in the mix. But it was about jobs and income. And I'm here I am in Washington. Excuse me. I'm inside the Beltway. We're, all we're talking about is 2020. Yeah. Are we going to see at the Democrat convention, are we going to see some splits, would you predict, between the you know the working democrats the blue collar democrats uh and the social activist woke democrats no they're gonna they're gonna insult them they're gonna demean them they're gonna diminish their opinion they're gonna explain to them that um these philosophies are dated the old way uh the new way is our way and it's a smaller well there's a lot of people in the union areas and the, who, who have these, these beliefs and these desires for housing, reasonably priced housing, good jobs, access, growth of middle class. This has been this has been a topic that many people have avoided talking about as it pertains to climate change policy. Let's let's talk briefly. Forget about uh, this has to do with the belief in what you deal with climate change. Um, so what you hear mainly is. Um, if you if a person stops using a fuel a gasoline powered car and drives an electric car, they'll save maybe 2.2 metric tons per year. If they change their diet from meat to plant based, they'll save you know it's called 0.7 metric tons per year. But if you have one fewer child, you don't have a kid, you have a fewer kids, you take a person off the planet, that saves more than 50 metric tons per year. It is the it used to be the quiet conversation amongst progressive liberals that fewer people will save the planet. But now you have people like Bill Maher coming out, just excoriating anyone. Just new statistics came out that the birth rate around the world is declining precipitously, and he's excoriating people who think that that's bad. He says, we don't need, by reduced CO2 emissions, we need fewer people, we need fewer feet. We don't want people to have kids. This is the easiest way. There's too many people. The planet's too full. We're going to overtax the planet. We're going to overtax resources. They have now gone from a subtle climate argument to a population-based get-rid-of-people, overt, excoriating on anyone who thinks that they want to pursue a job, a family, education for the kids and all. Uh, I, I, you, you surprised me because I thought you were going to say, yeah, there will be a split or a schism at the Democrat convention. Uh, you said no, because these social activists, these woke people will make fun of the blue collar types. But you take it at a very high minded way, talking about children and the value of children and families. But these blue collar guys are 
talking about their daily livelihood. Hey, what jobs? I mean, if you guys go ahead with, correct me if I'm wrong, Joel. If you guys go ahead, and this is an idea of a quote from a blue collar person. You guys go ahead with this Green New Deal. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of jobs lost. My job will be lost. Why won't, why won't this erupt? Because of the power of the social activists, the power of the woke people, they can shut them up? Yeah, they're going to say, uh, you're selfish. You're, you're one of those deplorable people that all you care about is yourself. You need to, you need to understand because you're not smart enough to understand, but we're going to help you understand and educate you. First of all, if you're working in the job that you're in, you're not very bright. You're not educated. We need to retrain you. My God, it sounds like the Chinese training camps. But they, they need to retrain them to understand what air quotes smart people understand. We save the planet. We save the planet by fewer people. Um, we save the planet by you living where we tell you to live and you live how we tell you to live. So they're in charge. Yeah. I asked a guy here who's expert on immigration. I was talking to him and a guy who's expert on uh, unions. And I said, you know, most powerful lobbies in, in, in the Democrat and the liberal party he said, well, I said, the unions, right? He said, no, 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 not anymore. Women, feminists, Sierra Club, very powerful. Immigration lobby, the pro, you know, open borders lobby. Uh, and now the woke people, the social activists, the Green New Deal people. Joel, you said, I'm, I'm leading the witness, obviously, but <laughs> you'll, you'll know what I'm up to. You use the word deplorable. So if they say you're deplorable, maybe these people will just run somewhere else. They spew pompous prophecies. Every topic, every issue they have, it goes along with, this is what will happen. And it's a pompous, prophetic view of the world. It doesn't matter if they're wrong. They keep repeating it. And if you don't agree with them, get out. Thankfully, our middle class in the United States are instinctively smart enough to go to places where where their, 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 their ideology, their philosophies, their beliefs, their views are admired and accepted. You're looking at this through a human lens. God bless you for that. I'm looking at it through a political lens. Can they win a national election with this woke, progressive, yeah. any working person perspective? No, they're going to lose. They are. Now, there's my there's my prophecy. Okay. Yeah, there's most of this country. I, I, I travel and speak and discuss a lot of these topics, both from a personal level and a business level around this country. And this country is 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 in good shape. <laughs> There's a lot of people here that aren't on the evening news uh, or, or, or or pontificating on CNN or MSNBC or ABC, NBC, CBS. A lot of people find that they instinctively understand that they are despised, and they're not going to listen to it. They're not going to argue about it. They're not going to listen to it. Yeah, you're right. And you bring up another very important point. Let me make it two ways. One, on those cable channels and on the networks, with the exception of Fox, you see a lot more of uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and Elon Omar than you see of a uh, guy from the building trade unions. Yeah. I mean, the media's with them too, right? Media loves it. Because it's the that. same cast of mind, the same hue of, of belief. Yes. And then also, you mentioned earlier that there's been a, there's just a, been a beating down of how our, our youth and our children in this country view themselves, view what their futures are. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that that can't change. But but right now, if you ask, uh, you know, the surveys are, are fairly consistent. If you ask respondents, 
under the age of 30, are they going to be better off than their parents? If you go through the United States, Germany, Canada, like there isn't one country where, where more than 30% of the respondents believe they will be better, they will do better than their parents. Wow. However, this is a, this is a short quiz. There's a place in the world where 95% of the people believe that a market economy is the best way. And 76% of them have a favorable, favorable opinion of the U.S. Would you like to take a guess where that is? Vietnam. Ah. There's a place in the world where kids between 12 and 19, almost 95% are optimistic about their futures. I won't even kid you with the guess. Mexico. A lot of people in this world that admire uh, Western civilization, they admire the United States, and they aspire to, to uh, whether they aspire to be in the United States or they aspire to pursue the elements and policies the United States has promoted for, for, since our inception. I think, I believe that shutting off those channels and watching where the where the families and kids are going in America. The dream is still alive. Uh, it is an American dream. And uh, America's best days are still ahead. That's a great place. That's a great place to conclude it. Um, very, very good. Thank you. The great thing about these conversations with you, Joel, is that we have continuous threads um, using California middle-class context, and we develop it more as it goes along. This is a book someday, Joel. This is a book. Thank you, Joel Farkas. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's switch direction. Let's speak with Andy Kessler. Andy Kessler writes the Inside View column for the Wall Street Journal opinion page. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? How you doing? I'm good. Let's talk about the future. The future isn't what it used to be. What do you mean the future isn't what it used to be? Well, you know, it's 2019, and at the end of every decade, you know, the pundits come out and, and try to predict what the future is, and they're always wrong, right? In the in the 50s, it was jet age thinking, and in the 60s, it was space age thinking. And, you know, they had, the TRW did a, a survey, and they predicted, you know, manned lunar bases by 77, and autonomous vehicles by 79, and robot soldiers, and picture phone service and all this stuff. And they were wrong. And, and because the oil embargo came along and, and uh, oil prices spiked. And then in the 70s, they figured we'd all be living in geodesic domes and driving tiny cars with CB radios. And so you know, I just wanted to go look at what the prevailing opinion is decade by decade and just see how awful these forecasters are. You brought back a name to me that had really disappeared, or maybe it was just in the deepest recesses of my brain. How do you pronounce it? Koifel and Esser? Kufel and Esser? Yeah, Kufel and Esser, or K&S, is, is, uh, or sorry, K&E, as a lot of, of us remember it back then, uh, commissioned a survey in 1967 for their 100th anniversary as a company. And they missed the most important thing. First, many of us know K&E from their slide rule to do multiplication and division and all this uh, higher end math. Uh, and so they did this survey and they missed something that came just a few years later, which is electronic calculators. So they did this in, in uh, 1967, you know, w within five years of the calculator boom. And by 1976, they shut down the engravers to make their slide rule. So again, this is professionals going and looking in the future and they 
totally missed it. So is the point that we, you know, just give it up, don't don't try to predict the future? Because we're, we always get it wrong, or we most often... Has anybody gotten it right consistently? Look, that, that's the trick to being a, a great investor, is to ignore consensus and figure out what your what your own view of the future is. And, and so, you know, everyone says, oh, the trend is your friend. But, you know, you can't extend these trends. I, I, I tripped across a book I had read, you know, 30 years ago called Mega Mistakes by this uh, Professor Schnars from uh, Burr College. And he talked about, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, discount extrapolations and play down historical precedent. And basically, Try to distinguish fads from real markets, and the way to do that is is don't extend trends. Is is you know, and, and and so what I do is I look at the the technology business, and I study you know silicon, and I study storage, and and all the technology that goes beyond, behind it, and and artificial intelligence. And based on that, you try to figure out how cheap things are going to get in the future. And when they get cheap enough, they completely disrupt industries. And I, I found that to be the most helpful going forward. But then you get in periods like we are in today of of euphoria where. As I like to say, the dreams become hallucinations. And, you know, right now we're we're all going to share cars and scooters and pogo sticks and live on communes. And, of course, none of that is correct uh, going forward. And, and, and so you've got to be careful, uh, especially today when, when we're sitting in peak euphoria of extending that trend. Why are we in peak euphoria of extending that trend? Well, you know, go look at the stock market today. Go I see. Look at I see. Yeah. Considered busted IPOs and Uber and Lyft, and you know, Uber is is still worth seventy something billion dollars on a on a dream that no one's going to own cars anymore. I mean, Tesla has a huge market cap on the assumption that everyone is going to buy a Tesla because we're all going to be driving electric cars, and that that's what I mean by peak euphoria in the stock market. Yes, and so extending the trend. For example, one of the examples you use is Beyond Meat. I've been told that get ready because I'm actually not I'm not only not going to be easily able to get my meat burger, but I'm going to actually like my veggie burger better. Yeah, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods is is uh, you know uh, a soy based meat substitute that that bleeds. It bleeds like like your steak. And you know I've tried I've tried both, and um, I'll never have it again in my life. I, I found it disgusting, but that's just me. I, I uh, but you know Beyond Meat is selling at something like. 40 times sales in, 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 in the stock market. And, you know, a company that's selling at 40 times earnings is considered expensive. And so, uh, you know, again, the euphoria around what the future is going to entail is often wrong. And you can get burned as an investor if, if, if you believe the hype. And, and that getting burned and that euphoria comes largely from taking what's going on at the present and extending that trend that as a trend into the future precisely when in fact things change what are the fears now that we're all going to be replaced by robots and and robots are are they're our friends they're they're they're, they're there to augment us our technology is all there to augment us not not replace us it replaces lower level jobs but it creates newer higher paying higher margin higher thinking jobs it always does and it always will i mean no one can really forecast what precisely the future looks like but uh again and again as you point out the the idea that robots are you know the jetsons uh, age is coming soon is is not going to play out 
I love this closing paragraph. I might ask you to unpack a little. The tempests of change blow hard. Reading the prevailing winds, we're all about to become robot-replaced, drone-delivered, synthetic, meat-eating, augmented reality, helmet-wearing, Bitcoin-spending, fruit-flavored, vaping, neutered, (laughs) democratic socialists, chirping comrade, and streamlining the Handmaid's Tale season's end. Dystopious discontents on our watches while collecting universal basic income. You don't need a slide rule to calculate to make mistakes. What's the cost here of getting it wrong. I mean, obviously, investors who base things on current trends are often wrong. They lose their money. What else is wrong? What is the damage done by getting the predictions of the future wrong? Certainly, uh, public policy uh, tends to fit the, the trends of the day. Right now, we're in China bashing mode and, and uh, you know putting tariffs on, on Chinese uh, exporters and manufacturers when the whole global economy is built on you know advanced economies like the U.S. doing design and software development and and um, you know chi- uh, companies excuse me countries like China and Vietnam and others doing uh, manufacturing and and, and so uh, you know public policy can get things you know desperately wrong. I, I think that's true with cryptocurrencies and and some of the policy responses uh, to that and you know the the fear of Hollywood um, you know trying to trying to choke off uh, streaming services for years until they're now trying to to, to join them and Disney's going to become the biggest streaming company maybe surpassing Netflix but it, but before that they wanted to kill them and so you have to be careful when economists and I put that in scare quotes and um, and other you know uh, 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 pundits push for public policy changes because they think they know how the future is going to unfold because it's always wrong they're always wrong and they're going to get it wrong and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily stop the future but it delays it and or it makes it more expensive and and, and so we have to be really careful about that i was wondering if you'd allow another dimension to it which is i was thinking of you know we say every anthropologist loves his own tribe my tribe is education and um i wrote a book called the book of virtues and some other books and i remember reading hannah Arendt, and she said wrote once um, there's a cop out, there's a surrender that some adults practice in the presence of the young. And they say, we have no idea what the future is going to bring. We only know that it's going to be radically different from what we are. So we can't guide you. You're on your own. That is this belief in this thoroughly, utterly plastic future, uh, utterly new and ill-defined, non-defined, absolves responsibility for guidance because it's a brave new world. It's always a brave new world. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. And, and, um, you know, education has has so many faults. I mean, you know, teachers in the education system doesn't know what the future holds either and therefore can only provide students with the tools. And... So much of education is is backward looking. I mean, I I found this this great uh, aptitude test from MIT. It was the entrance exam for MIT from 1873, and it it looks like today's SAT test. It has the same you know algebra and and basic geometry and uh, asking about parabolas and 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 all these things. And it hasn't changed. And and why? Well, in in 1872, every city wanted to build a bridge like the Brooklyn Bridge, and they needed people that understood how to do algebra to to help design the bridge. And so our education system is still bridge designing rather than you know teaching uh, students how to how to do computer science and 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 to set them up to be able to 
program the artificial intelligence systems that are surely to come. And, and so, uh, let alone the whole education system should be turned inside out anyway, where, where you take the best of breed of teachers, because there are great teachers, and, and you capture them digitally and, and deliver it to millions. As, as, as you turn the education system into something that scales. Simple question. Do we do away with algebra? Well, I don't think you necessarily do away with it, but you know, right now, you know, they teach to the test, and the SAT is the test, and and um, so I think you can you can skim over it. You know, let's face it, we spend a lot of time teaching things that are increasingly automated, and not teaching things and learning how to automate other tasks. And so I, I just don't think you have to emphasize it. I'd like to see. Uh, Computer science be a much bigger part of curriculum. In Estonia, they, they teach second graders how to program. And, and in the U.S., you can get through high school without ever taking a computer science course. But algebra's jammed down your throat. What about for things that are old by nature? I just I want to get on my turf so I'm more comfortable. What about teaching? You can also graduate from a lot of high schools in America, and you can graduate with a history degree from Harvard without taking a course in American history. Yeah. Does that make sense? Look, the education system should provide us tools, and I'm, I'm also a big believer in, in critical thinking. And, and um, you know, I, I, I think classics are, are still a big part of that. But I, I worry, and I've told each one of my kids, you know, you're not going to be a, a, a history major or a gender studies major because, you know, you got to go out and, and uh, live in the real world and, and get a job. But I, I wanted them to take a, a wide enough range of courses so they can come out as critical thinkers. And I think that is 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 missing. And, and you know, l- let alone the biases on college campuses on deciding, you know, what part of history should be taught and what, what part should be erased. Let's go, oh, since we're talking about education, let's go to this great column you did. Dear grads, how to slay dragons in the business world, if you got just a couple more minutes. You quoted some people. I was curious to have you unpack it. This year didn't disappoint in commencement speeches. I take it you were reviewing commencement speeches. Who, who gave the most this year in commencement speeches? I tracked it for a couple of years, and, and it looks like the world title holder is Fareed Zakaria. Pretty safe choice, you know? I think, for a lot of universities. Well, I sat through uh, a few personally and um, uh, fell asleep uh, uh, during both of them. And, and, you know, because you tend to get advice that is, you know, do your best or follow your passion or, you know, the, the, the same tropes that uh, that we see year in and year out. And, and um, you know, so every, every once in a while, I, I try to write my own graduation speech knowing that uh, no college or university would ever stoop so low as to uh, have me come speak at their commencement. So this year's was about about being a hero. Go get a job, and your job has some title that is associated with it, you know, uh, and, and that's fine, and that'll, that'll get you along uh, day by day, but it's not going to get you advanced, and the, the way to get advanced is to be a hero, is do something above and beyond. Don't wait for your boss to come tell you, hey, you should work on this or you should work on that, is figure it out yourself. You're in these organizations, big companies or small companies, that, that need stuff done. I, I, I tell the story of a, of a salesman I used to work at, with uh, at, at Morgan Stanley that tried to get a, uh, a deal. They tried to get a deal done and couldn't get it done. And, and so he just said, I'll, I'll do it. And he just called every one of his clients and said, let's do this thing, but a couple bucks cheaper. And, and the guy became a hero. He was, he was, um, you know, to this day, people go, oh yeah, that guy, he got that, he got that paper deal done. I tell the other story of one of the early in, uh, employees at Google and, and, uh, Buckite was his name and he was working on Gmail, which 
gosh, I use every day, uh, every minute of every day. And, and, but there was another task that he thought of that might be useful, which was, hey, um, maybe we could target ads based on keywords. And so no one told him to do it. And he says, oh, I did it on a Friday. And he came up with this AdWords uh, uh, system or the rudimentary form of it that now forms you know, it's like a $100 billion business that he created on a Friday. And so talk about heroes. I mean, this guy basically made Google uh, the company that it is today, and no one told him what to do. So my advice to, to students is get a job, feel your way around, figure out what you know your task is to be, and then figure out what other problems your company has or what problems your customers have that they may not even know of. And then Start going ahead and, and, and solving those things and be a hero. And, and, and that's how you advance either in companies or if they don't want to do it, then you leave and do a startup that, that, that solves customers' problems, again, that they may not even know they have. You wrote, I can hear you thinking, that sounds like a lot of work. Why should I bother? You wrote, chances are if you have a bachelor's degree, you're not punching a clock, nine to five or just suggested hours, but be responsive and you'll be someone's hero before long. How do you figure that out? Is there a way Is there a way to figure out what you're supposed to figure out? I remember Robertson Davies, the Canadian novelist, he said, how do you write your novels? He said, have amusing things occur to you and jot them down. And someone said, how do you get amusing things to occur to you <laughs> that are worth writing down? But it's so true is... is there's no right answer because uh, every company and every job is different. But, you know, look, everyone starts a new job and within within a, a week or a month or a year, everyone hates their boss. But their boss got there for reasons. Their boss got there, yeah. you know, either it's nepotism or he, uh, the, the, your boss was a, was a hero of some sort and solved some some problem and they and they promoted him or her. And so it's the same thing here is... is you don't know. There is no magic formula, but you know you're you're, you're not. We're not factory workers anymore. Uh, most of us, you know, uh, punching the clock nine to five or eight thirty to four thirty-seven. You know, um, we're 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 knowledge workers, and knowledge workers we're supposed to use our knowledge, and you can't turn it off. At the end of the day, you know, yeah, I'm just going to go home and you know uh, watch Netflix, and and no, is is your mind still racist? What is that problem? It's going to come to you in the shower. It's going to come to you at three in the morning. It's going to come to you over your Starbucks. Uh, frappuccino. I don't know. It's going to come to you if 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 you're if you're worth it, and if you are worth it, you're gonna you're gonna get ahead, and and you're gonna get ahead and and be able to change the landscape of your company, change the landscape of the economy, like uh, like uh, this this Buckeye at, at Google did. It's just um, you know it, that that's 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 what it takes. It <clears throat> it takes working, thinking a little bit outside of the box, but not really. It's just thinking about what we talked about uh, in the past, about critical thinking of, of, of what needs to be done. If no one's going to tell you. You'll be a hero if, when you figure it out yourself. Yeah, look around. Yeah, yeah, look around you. See what the problems are. And and maybe it'll come to you in one of those moments. I love um, one of my favorite lines of Shakespeare is very simple one. Readiness is all. Readiness is all. And I've always interpreted that to mean if something's going to come your way. Something's going to pop into your head. Something opportunity is going to appear. Be ready. And when it, when it comes in the shower or at night or over the latte, yep. grab it and do it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Keep writing. We'll keep reading and we'll bother you again, okay? Okay. Great to chat with you. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter, William J. Bennett, and you can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. 
Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.